0: Hello and welcome to the ARC 360 podcast, brought to you in association with corporate partners BASF, BMS, CAPS, Copart, Emacs, Integral, Enterprise rent car Innovation Group, Merca, Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance, SNG Response and Sherwin-Williams, as well as our partners Aztec, the Green Parts Specialists, INDARSA and Presco UK. Today we are joined by highly valued ARC 360 partner, Phil Blowers, Commercial Director at INDARSA who provides us with an overview of his 35 years, yes, 35 years in the industry, from technician on the shop floor to overseeing UK and German operations for a multinational organisation. Phil tells us all about the business, explains the implications of the past 18 months and shares with us just what that now means for manufacture and supply. Of course, we couldn't talk all about work, so Phil reveals how he's mixing work with pleasure by organising a charity bike ride in support of industry charity Auto Race, explaining how we can all join him, and delves into the reasons steel remains his material of choice for those long days in the saddle. He also reveals his Tour de France winning alter ego, his inner rock legend, and how turning 17 should always be the gateway to learning to drive. Enjoy the conversation.
1: Before I did the ride, I ended up um, having to go on to antibiotics, oh. which wasn't great. So the ride itself, I was not well. I was pretty rough. The first 30 miles, it was it was, um, it was either make or break. Luckily, it's, I, I just swept this bloody... I, I had a bit of a fever and stuff, you know, with this infection. So I sweated out of me, and the next 95
0: mile wasn't so bad. Good, man. And I see you had Tyndall and Bentley as your uh, peloton leader. And out. you did the oh. whole ride with me. Really? Oh, brilliant. Yeah, Yeah, he did the whole ride. And Chris uh, Chris did, he did about 80k, he did 54 mile I think he did. Oh, that's nice. Well if it's um, any consolation my friend, in preparation for today, you inspired me because I thought I know what Phil will be doing at lunchtime, I need to go out and do the same. So I went out for a little 45 minute clip just before this. Well
1: done, well done. Pleased to hear it, pleased to hear it.
0: See you're inspiring a nation my friend. All right, so uh, thanks very much for joining us, Phil. Really appreciate your time, my friend. It's uh, a sunny Friday afternoon, and I'm sure you'd probably be uh, prefer to be lycra clad and out on the bike. I would indeed.
1: Good man. uh, The weekend,
0: the weekend for that, my friend. The weekend beckons. If you don't mind me asking, first question of the day, and it's probably one of the most pressing questions I've got for you today. That's the serious tone I'm going to set. Is it filled with a double L or is it filled with a single L? I've seen it in different guises. Uh, I'm not
1: um, bothered either way, to be perfectly honest.
0: But I tell you who is bothered and that's my mother. It's
1: obviously Philip with two L's and when abbreviated my mother tells me it's with two L's so
0: quite a fearsome woman Mark so I'll let you ask her that question. Okay double L, it is from here on in then. <laughs> so let's get down to business a little bit and um, if you can tell us about yourself your relationship with the industry. How did you get into this wonderful world of automotive repair that we're in? What's on your CV and what kind of years does your role entail today? So firstly, I've worked across the supply
1: chain for the last 35 years, believe it or not. So 1986 was a defining moment when I uh, left school and took up a YTS panel beating apprenticeship with a local Vauxhall dealer in my hometown of Shrewsbury. And that set the seed and allowed me to, uh, to uh, fall in love with the industry that I'm associated with today it was probably evident from a very early stage that I probably wasn't cut out or technically cut out to be what we class today as a, a vehicle technician so I was quickly told by the uh, the local body shop manager at the time that for all my endeavor it was probably best that I uh, found a, another vocation associated to the automotive industry <laughs> that took me into uh, that took me into the next line of the automotive chain which was the distribution channel I was always interested in a commercial, the sales and the technical aspect of of um, of, of product. And I joined um, a, a distribution, again, a local distribution organisation in the Shrewsbury area, then went to work for a national distribution where I went into management. And then in 2000, I went to work in another development of the supply chain, which is in with manufacturing. So I got into manufacturing in 2000, where I had... Um, Uh, my own company, for around about eight years. In 2008, that business was integrated into the Indarsa family group, where I sit today and reside today as the commercial director for the UK and the German market for my sins. I have a full responsibility for all the commercial sales for both uh, the UK uh, and the German market. Uh, The German market I took on two years ago, One of the reasons why I I, I took that on was purely down to the fact that the German team is quite a young business in terms of the people in the business are quite young. The the business itself is not that young. Using the the experience I've got within the Indarsa business and looking at the German and the UK market, very similar in terms of the dynamics, very similar car park. Um, It's a mature market. The repair procedures are very similar. The route to markets are very similar. So it made perfect sense to to get somebody like myself involved with that market. So uh, fully um, embraced it and now involved uh, both with the UK and with the German market.
0: Good man. Well, there you go. There's the uh, there's the history of Phil Bowes in the industry. So I didn't I didn't know some elements of that. I have to say. So that's uh,
1: you didn't know about that, right?
0: I know. I didn't know that. I didn't know how you got into the industry. How it all began. So uh, it's a fascinating story. I like those backstories. I really do. And in terms of, I suppose, again, where we sit today, you obviously haven't been doing much travelling in recent times. How's working with uh, with Germany whilst also kind of taking care of the UK whilst you've been kind of, you know, sat at home?
1: I think, like probably like all businesses, that although we've been apart, we've become much closer in terms of our communication, in terms of our forward planning. Um, so a lot of the, a lot of the um, the interaction has been done so over the the same as we're doing today, really. It's been difficult in terms of the customer communication because we talked about it before we, we, we came on air that the a lot of people at this moment in time are, are looking more sort of short term rather than medium and long term. So, But in terms of um, interaction with our, our own people, that interaction has been good. It's been solid and it's enabled us to come out the other side, I think, a lot stronger in terms of our organising and planning. So we've been able to implement some really good initiatives since the, the start of the, the pandemic. And I'm absolutely positive that it'll make us uh, a lot stronger as now as we move forward in terms of the planning that we put in place. And looking to, I assume, get back on the road and
0: start travelling soon?
1: Yes, uh, opened up. I'm, I'm hoping to uh,
0: hopefully get across to Germany in, in the next few weeks. Great to catch up with people face to face. So, I mean, tell us. You know, a little bit more then about uh, Indarsa. I've been privileged over the years to get to know you and and Indarsa and the team, which has been great. You're obviously a highly valued partner of ARC 360. So tell us about the business. You know, what can you do for, for repairers for the industry? OK, well, for those who don't know, we're, we're, we're a privately
1: owned abrasive manufacturer um that's based in Portugal. We're just um, south of Porto, a town called Aveiro or City in Aveiro. As a business, we export to over 120 countries and globally um, we have eight affiliated owned businesses in uh, major markets across Europe, uh, South America and Central America. In terms of the company brand platform, we, we base ourselves on as a perfect finish, we know how which really leads us into where we can and what we do to support uh, body shops in general. So basically um, we have four pillars to the business and that's built on obviously being a manufacturer, that's product, process, our proposition in terms of um, our market proposition. But most importantly, again, in terms of the body shop aspect is the partnership. In terms of the UK model, we we wrap this up into a body shop programme, which we call process to profit which is a dedicated partnership with uh, The Body Shop and our distribution partners, where we try to deliver process, uh, training, cost control management, uh, benchmarking, but also, most importantly, uh, continued improvement.
0: And I know you work with some big names. Do you want to name drop any into this conversation? I know you do a lot with Gemini. Yeah, we've got some good, stronger collaborations
1: with um, larger national organisations. Dave and his team at, uh, at Gemini, we've been long partners with Dave uh, and Phil. They bought into the um, the technical concept and support that we can offer. They're very much valued uh, as a customer, and I think they value the support that we give them. We've, we've always said that there are many uh, manufacturers and manufacturing a good product now these days is a minimum requirement, but I suppose it's what we do as individuals um, um, and as a business that makes the difference. They certainly have a route to market, which I think adds value in terms of the repair sector. And I think that complements what we do in terms of how we support them
0: as a manufacturer. Good insight there, Phil. Thank you very much for that. So kind of moving away, I suppose, from, from work a little bit, but but still very much related. Now, you and I, again, before we started, we were we were talking about our, our passion of riding bikes. You take it to a whole new level. And uh, when we talk about these things, put me to shame when I follow you on Strava. So everyone out there listening, <clears throat> check Phil out on Strava. Most of his rides are treble figures. And you've got a little project on the go right now. So tell us more about it and and how can those in the industry who like cycling or don't even get involved? Okay, so well
1: five years ago we partnered with, uh, with Auto Race as we identified uh, jointly with them the challenges that the industry faced and we saw some real um, value in supporting that particular initiative and that organisation. So that was really centred around uh, skill set shortage, technology change and also skill set change that was going to be required to um, to support the technology change. So really mindful of the current um, situation we find ourselves in with the pandemic and also the impact that that's had on uh, on the whole industry and organisations like Auto Race. We decided uh, at the start of the year to initiate a cycling event to enable us to raise funds for Auto Race. That's a two-fold approach. So the stage one was for me to raise awareness of the, um, the INDASA Virtual Peloton ride that we want to implement on the uh, September the twenty fifth or the weekend of September the twenty fifth and twenty sixth. I'll I'll explain that uh, in due course. On the July the second, I rode um two hundred kilometres, one hundred and twenty five miles, As you however read. you want to dress it up. And I was joined by my uh, commercial uh, um, global director Andrew Tindall and uh, a colleague of mine Chris Bentley, who uh, joined for part of the ride, and we separately raised some funds and raise the awareness of the bike ride that we want to do on the 25th of September. The money that we raised from that uh, initial ride, 100% of that money has now gone to Auto race. And on the 25th of September, I call all life for loving wearers <laughs> from the industry to join us for the the Indarsa Auto race virtual peloton ride. That will be detailed in the next couple of weeks via our social media and Darsa social media platforms and the Auto Race uh, social media platforms. So look out on the Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook pages. The idea being is, is that we we want you, yes, I mean you, Mark, we want you to uh, cycle uh, over that weekend sixty two miles one hundred kilometers, and raise some money towards the auto race organization. Uh, and each entrant will receive a cycling. Musette from uh, which will be full full of goodies, and um, for the first twenty five riders who will reply on the initial launch of the ride, will also receive an Indarsa cycling jersey. So we've got um, some clear intentions, some some clear plans, and that will be communicated over the next um, the next ten days.
0: Fabulous. We will obviously push out any information that we uh, we receive from you guys as well. So we'll definitely support that in that sense. I will. I make the pledge now, hop on my bike that weekend and follow suit. So uh, we'll see what we can do there. And I I will
1: also say, I mean, uh, you can do the ride in one go. If you want to do the ride over two rides on the Saturday and the Sunday, you can. You can ride an electric bike. It doesn't matter how how we do it. We just want to get as many collaborators from the industry engaged with this initiative so that we can um, raise some funds for what we believe to be a, a really good cause. And, and in the current situation, is going to add some real
0: benefit as we come out of this uh, pandemic environment. Brilliant. Great job. Well, as I say, we're behind you. So, uh, yeah, I'll be jumping on my bike and uh, we'll see who else we can encourage to do so. I take it there'll be a signed in Darsa T-shirt, uh, sorry, cycling jersey with yourself, Andrew and Chris, having signed it for one special winner, will there, somewhere?
1: Yes. Yeah, I might even get Mark Cavendish to sign it, especially if he beats Eddie Merckx's
0: record. So, well, uh, hey, that, what a perk that would be. OK, so we're on the cycling theme. So let's stay on that theme, because what I really like about your cycling as well is you probably don't follow the masses. And by that, I mean... You don't really go for the super bike uh, technology out there today because there's loads of it. You're a traditional steel-framed man. Now, I know you get plenty of stick from this, from your peers, (laughs) but tell us about that because I love it.
1: Okay, well, uh, it is a steel frame, you're right. It is a steel frame, but it also, it's a Colmago master frame. And for the cycling purist out there, if you go back to the early 80s, so in the early 80s, I used to race as a junior rider in my local area and nationally. But back in the day, if you switched the TV on and would watch the Tour de France, you would see, who would have been heroes of mine, would be riders such as Bernard, uh, Bernardino, Miguel Indurain, and uh, people like Greg Le Monde, who all rode um, these classic steel frames over the Alps and over the Pyrenees in France. And it, it's something that, um, being a, 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 bit, uh, a bit retro, a bit old school, I've never really, um, never really got out of my system so I do, I do. I've got a little secret for you, actually, Mark. I actually do own two carbon bikes. So I hope oh. I haven't burst the bubble here. But as you know, my trusty steed is my steel bike, and, and it generally goes everywhere with me. So the ride I did, that the the, uh, the 200 kilometer ride, I rode. I rode my Conlago Masters. But when I'm uh, going out with a racing snake like yourself, Mark, I would probably uh, lean more towards my my carbon
0: freight. I think flip that on its head and I'd probably be on a a, some sort of road uh, motorcycle trying to keep up with you so okay I love that now I'm going to try and provide a tenuous link back to our industry so does this preference your trusty steel steed being a traditionalist does it um, translate across to what you drive today and do you think the automotive space will mirror kind of the bike sector in years to come where we'll have choices or specialisms for the future and and people will like their older cars and people will like their real new tech and stuff. Probably see it now. Do you think it will become that even more? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one that,
1: because um, just in terms of the similarities between the automotive market and the cycling, we've seen certainly development specialist areas over the years. So if you look at an SUV, that's a gravel or a mountain bike. If you look at supercar, that's your carbon, that's your aero bikes. She very prevalent in the biking industry. We have our steel, which could be referred to as our classic, our classic cars, and of course, we're probably seeing a lot of uh, electric bikes, um, and we're seeing the uh, real emergence of electric vehicles. So I think that there is um, a lot of symmetry between uh, biking and and uh, the automotive industry. And I saw a statistic um, on, on bikes earlier in the week that said that at the moment that the electric bike market's worth $40 billion globally. And by 2030, that's going to be 180 billion. So what we are seeing is a, is a massive, um, massive change and shift in terms of how people commute, because I think a lot of people now will be using electric uh, bikes for commuting but i think that that might be accelerated more so on bikes because i think in terms of the car industry the the challenges are more so around the infrastructure for the change to electric vehicles so i think um the the route of entry for bikes is going to be a lot easier than it is for automotive um, organizations so that'll be very very interesting what i ride doesn't really have a relevance to what I'm driving today but I say there is a lot of a lot of similarities in terms of the
0: specialist areas between bikes and and automotive. I had sort of visions of you I don't know maybe a maybe an 80s retro vehicle you know an XR3i or something I could see you turning up to your meetings in that.
1: (laughs) No I wish I wish (laughs) I do wish. I've got, I tell you what I've got a bit of a passion for at the moment, which looks really nice. So The Honda S2000s, I think they look a really nice looking motor. Nice. So if I was going to have um, anything, I think I'd invest in in one of them for the weekend. They're very nice.
0: Well, there you go. I mean, if you've got a few bikes, you should have a few cars. That's what I say. So uh, obviously that didn't come from me when you discuss that later. Anyway, so back to work. So how's the sector shaping up for Indata right now? There's, there seems to be loads going on in terms of, you know, every angle everything impacting not only our industry but global supply chains yeah. the way businesses work people human resource all these things so you know what if anything is, is different following the disruption of the past 18 months in fact you know flip that on his said is there anything the same as it was 18 months ago
1: no it, it has been a very um, from a manufacturing perspective and when i talk about manufacturing perspective i'm not talking about our affiliated business in terms of the uk i'm talking about purely from our uh, manufacturing plant. There have been some major uh, disruptions this year to the supply chain. So that's probably, as a manufacturer, we, we've seen that impact us. More so than the downturn that we saw in 2008, 2009. The, the challenges that we have today are something that are unprecedented. We, we hear that word used every day. But I, I have to say, that this has almost been the perfect storm, especially for the UK market as well, because we had Brexit to contend with, as well as the pandemic. So in terms of the supply chain, what we've seen is raw material shortages. That's been a, a very, very challenging. And where you do have product available in terms of raw material, it's, it's very much been on allocation. So as you can imagine, that's that's a challenge because allocation then means that lead time then gets extended into the supply chain. And of course, also that what we see with the global pandemic as well is the shipping costs increased due to ships not being in the right place at the right time, containers not being in the right place at the right time. So as I say, it's almost been the perfect storm. And I think that the reality of it is, is that the, these uh, challenges, I think, are going to be with us midterm. I don't want to put an, a, a number on it. but I don't think they're going to be gone by the end of the year. But I think that um, they're going to be challenges that we're going to be having to face this time next year. And that's the reality of it. And I think it's um, really, really important that we all take um, a collaborative approach as an industry to ensure that we um, handle this dilemma, to ensure that we offer, you know, a, a collective approach so that we come out of it stronger and that we exit this period uh, uh, um, with the
0: industry still intact. And it's a, it's certainly a you know, a subject matter you've touched upon there. We we touched upon on the on the on demand recently, talking about, you know, global supply chains have been impacted. It's not just, you know, yourselves, it's not just the businesses we spoke to there. It's it's everyone. We see it in other industries. We've been talking about it in the home side of the ILC business as well. So as demand has, has risen, uh, you know, all of a sudden there's been that sort of knock on impact on supply. So yes, in as you say, timelines, medium term, twelve month predictions, you know, it's it's gonna take to settle down again. So Well, we're not the only industry, so um, that's the only
1: consolation. So all industries are experiencing this. I mean, even at home, we're seeing costs increase on food, uh, on utilities. We're seeing everybody's everybody's exposed to this global situation. So I don't think it comes as any surprise what I'm saying today. But there, you know, as I say, I don't believe it's a long term situation, but I I think we're we're still going to be dealing with these challenges over the next 12 months.
0: Yep absolutely great point so um if you like the last point for the sort of formal side of the interview and i use that term very loosely obviously but um what one message as commercial director of indarsa would you like to get across to the industry as a whole and why i think it really follows on from
1: what i've just indicated and alluded to in terms of the supply chain you know as an industry uh, we do need to take in a collaborative approach
0: OK, so so great points, Bill. Thank you sort of very much for, um, well, responding to the formal side of the interview. But obviously now we like to kind of, you know, throw you uh, curveballs with the quick fire question round. So here we go. What one thing might not many people know about you? Keep it clean. This goes out yeah. to people, you know. In my early 40s,
1: I started to play the drums. Oh, go on. It was a bit of a a, bit of a um, I know this is supposed to be quick fire, but... Uh, A bit of a strange one. My daughter started to learn to play the drums and she gave up on her drum lessons. So dad stepped in. Dad did it for another 12 months. I then joined a band. I then started gigging. I really enjoyed it. And I stopped about five years ago, really due to work commitments. But it's something that I'm definitely going to go back to uh,
0: at a later stage because I really, really enjoyed it. That is brilliant. And you know what? It makes me smile because my son started playing the drums. And on his little electronic drum kit that I purchased him for Christmas, obviously it was for him. I might play every now and again. But yeah, certainly at no no level that I'd want to take that public. That's for sure. Right. What would your alter ego be doing as a career right now? Well, if it was yesterday, OK, I'd have been uh,
1: hurdling up the tourmalade trying to follow uh, Pogaccia's wheel. So really, I'd love to have been a professional cyclist. I would. That would have been my um, ultimate ultimate thing. I think at the age of 51, it's probably passed me by now. But if I had my time again, I would love to have been a professional cyclist.
0: What a world you would have entered into there, that's for sure. Yeah. So best bit of business advice you've ever heard, seen or received? You can't have my product at somebody else's price. Oh, wow. That just that just rolled off the tongue, didn't it? I, that, it that, did. Is that one that you use every day? It was somebody that um, I work very
1: closely with. He was a bit of a mentor to me when I first had my business. He was the guy that originally owned the company. Uh, I remember being in a very, very difficult conversation with, uh, we were in a difficult conversation with somebody. The guy was wanting to negotiate with us over the price of our products. And he just came out with this one liner. It's always stuck with me. Um, To be be honest, the the guy who was on the receiving end didn't really have anywhere to go. So, uh, yeah, I was very impressed with that.
0: (laughs) That's brilliant. Oh, I like that. I'm going to remember that one, that's for sure. And... uh... Here we go final one for you the one that always uh, divides the nation self-driving vehicles for you yes or no and why no definitely no so there is a
1: significant birth date in the uk and it's not 18 or 21 it's 17 17 years of age when you as uh, as a, a young adolescent have the opportunity to and the freedom to learn to drive in the uk and for that to be taken away or to be, yeah, for that to be taken away would be a huge, huge shame. So for me, it's a definite no. And for all those 17 year olds or people who are going to be turning 17, you know, have the freedom to go out and learn to drive because it's the, it, it, it takes you to places that
0: you'll enjoy and perhaps your mother shouldn't know about. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Good man. Super stuff, Phil. Thank you very much indeed for joining us today, my friend. Thank you, Mark.
1: Thank you for the opportunity. It's good to see you. I look forward to seeing you in your Lycra on the 25th of September. Well, are well, the first the person picture, who's ever said see that. see pictures of you in Lycra. You're more than welcome to join us if you,
0: if you can. Myself, Andrew and Chris. I'd love to, mate. Absolutely. I'll be there like a shot. So, uh, yeah, you let me know. And uh, thanks for your time, mate. Really appreciate it. Have a great weekend. See you soon, Mark. And there we are, Phil Blowers of Indarsa, giving up his time to share some great insights into business, but also allowing us a little look into his world outside of work. It sounds like there's plenty going on within the business to keep Phil on his toes, that's for sure, and he's clearly keeping himself in good shape in his spare time. We'll be keeping in close contact with Phil to share more details of the forthcoming charity bike ride. So get those tyres pumped up, get in the saddle and watch this space. Once again, big thank you to Phil and to all those listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. This has been the ARC 360 podcast. Take care and look forward to catching up with you all soon. Thank you very much to our corporate partners, BASF, BMS, Caps, Copart, Emacs, Integral, Enterprise rent Innovation Group, Merca, Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance, SNG Response and Sherwin-Williams, as well as our partners Aztec, the Green Parts Specialists in Darsa, Prasco, UK.